Velkommen til Live fra det Kongelige Bibliotek. Mit navn er Lise Bak Hansen, og jeg præsenterer denne podcast med highlights fra det Kongelige Biblioteks kulturscene i den sorte diamant. EU er løsningen på mange af de udfordringer, Europa i dag står overfor. For uden EU er det ikke muligt at løse globale problemer som klimaforandringer og massemigration. Dette mener den franske præsident Emmanuel Macron, der i denne podcast diskuterer med statsminister Lars Løkke Rasmussen. Sammen med mange hundrede studerende i den sorte diamant og borgere på biblioteker i hele landet, drøfter de EU's rolle i samfundet nu og i fremtiden. Alt sammen modereret af Lykke Friis. Arrangementet var en del af det franske statsbesøg i Danmark og blev streamet på folkebiblioteker i hele Danmark. Podcasten indledes af de to statsledere, der giver hver sit perspektiv på EU's berettigelse. God fornøjelse. Thank you so much, Lykke. I will do my utmost to be as short as possible, but I have a few words I want to share with you. First of all, your Royal Highness, Mr. President, your Excellences, Dear students, thank you all for attending and sorry for, for, for the delay. And I also want to thank the Royal Library for hosting this event. And of course, uh, most important, I want to thank you, Emmanuel, for being here. You are a true friend of Denmark. Men are born and remain free and equal in rights. These are the very first words in the Declaration of the Rights of the Man and of the Citizen, written in Paris during the French Revolution more than 200 years ago. A declaration composed by brave souls based on the ideals of enlightenment and adopted in time of change, division and uh, uncertainty. Mr. President, your visionary countrymen left us with a priceless uh, legacy. Looking at the world today, change, division and uncertainty seems to occur once again. From the East, aggressive actors who claim to be Democrats but act like autocrats not only in their own countries, but in other countries as well. From the South, fanatics who claim to speak and fight on behalf of a world religion, but end up taking it as a hostage in a fight they will never win. And to the West, most recently, our friends and allies in the land of the free, suddenly striving for less free trade and discarding international agreements on trade, on climate and human rights. So, ladies and gentlemen, I think time has come. Time has come to ask ourselves, what kind of world do we want? What kind of values do we cherish? Hateful speech or peaceful dialogue? Further divisions or lasting unity? Dark fear or big dreams? I know what I believe in, but the past has proven that the dark sides of humanity always lie in wait and that the shining European values cannot be taken for granted. The present shows us that the strongholds of freedom and democracy are more fragile than we imagined. And looking into the future, I fear that Europe might be the last voice of reason. So you could ask, who takes the lead when it comes to free trade? Who takes the lead when it comes to international agreements? Who takes the lead when it comes to humanitarian assistance and development aid? who takes the lead when it comes to data security and consumer safety? And the answer is, Europe does. So if we want our European values to prevail, 
we must stand up for them and we must stand together. And this is also the case when it comes to one of the biggest challenges of our time, climate change. A challenge so big that it can only be handled if we change the way our society work, produce and consume. A challenge so big that no country can handle it alone. So what we need is, Europe, uh, is European cooperation, European determination and the vision to act for the benefit of all of mankind, not only a certain kind of man. So like you have said, Mr. President, there's no planet B, and that is true. But it's also a fact that we can, in fact, save the planet if we work together. And this is one reason why I believe European unity is as important today as it has ever been. And this is why I insist, even though it's difficult, on debating how our union can improve like we do today. In my mind, the union should be influential on transnational issues such as climate, trade, migration, and exchange of ideas. For instance, it is indeed a great idea which, is to, uh, will, which will benefit all of you personally and uh, also benefit our societies, that students are able to travel and study in universities all over Europe. On the other hand, the union should not interfere on issues that each member state can handle alone, such as social systems, healthcare, primary education, or, and other issues which belong at national level. But most important of all, the union must be the people's union, relevant for the people, wanted by the people, because in the end, it is nothing by the people. Brexit, and I will uh, shortly close my remarks, but, but Brexit is a sad reminder of what, happen, what happens when politicians, despite facts, make Europe a scapegoat for everything bad. Europe is not strong because we agree on anything, on, on everything. It's strong because we also accept to disagree uh, in a civilized way. And because we find peaceful solutions to our common challenges. The goal has never been to overcome, to become one people, but to be many peoples united in diversity. So, ladies and gentlemen, we live in time of change and division, but the answer to division is never to build walls or always putting your own country first. The answer is to build bridges, to put freedom, to put responsibility and dialogue first. And I hope that we who are gathered here today uh, will share that experience as well. So I look very much forward to a, a good debate, debate. Thank you very much. Thank you. The author of The Little Prince once wrote, in life there are no solutions, they are forces on the move. Create them and solutions follow, quote unquote. So Monsieur le Président, now we look very much forward to the forces you want to create in Europe. The floor is yours and thank you very much for coming. Thanks very much, your Royal Highness, Mr. Prime Minister de Alas, Mr. Commissioner, Dear friends, ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for being here. And I mean, I like this opportunity to have a direct discussion on Europe, and especially with uh, your generation. Uh, Europe was created by another generation. The founding fathers experienced war, a divided Europe. And what they created is something absolutely unique. It never happened to have 70 years, more than 70 years, without any war on this continent. It's unique. 
We never experienced that before. And they created something which is for the very first time was not based on hegemony because it's not the unity of Europe on the basis of the domination of one nation on the others, but a constant and permanent dialogue between equal member states. This is the European Union. It's a unique creation. There is no other region in the world where this kind of creation exists. No other. And progressively, decade after decade, probably we forgot this, I mean, the energy of the origins. And for your generation, war seems to be something which could happen far from your country. But it's not a reality of your day-to-day -day life here. And a lot of this, the basics and the roots of this European Union is less vivid than for the founding fathers. But, but, we need this Europe and probably your generation much more than the former ones. First, because we have a series of huge challenges and your Prime Minister, the last year, described part of them and I, I fully concur with your introduction. But if you look at the, the situation we are in, our globalization is in a huge crisis. And this crisis is mirrored in a big European crisis. Crisis because of the raise of new challenges and because of the inability of this globalization precisely to monitor its own consequences. You have a huge demographic crisis in Africa with direct impact on Europe, but in the Eastern world, in America as well, when you look at the situation between Mexico and the US, everywhere in the world we have a demographic issue due to birth rates, lack of education, creating migration and political crisis between the different regions. You have a huge environment and climate crisis because of the consequences of our current globalization and the indirect effects of it, the way to produce, which will force us to create a new way to produce, a new way to organize ourselves. And you have a huge technological and digital challenge totally disrupting the way to produce, but as well the way to consume, to behave yourself, and to create your new environment. And artificial intelligence is part of this new revolution with a lot of consequences, and we can revert on it during the discussion. And probably a fourth challenge dealing with inequalities. Because this world, based on short-term cycles, acceleration of innovations, finance, over-concentrated successes in a small part of the world and created some regions in big difficulties and created increased inequalities within our societies and between societies. These four challenges are putting our democracies at risk. All our democracies were based on a sort of um, consensus, where we had protection of liberties and individual rights, values, rights of the individual, progress for middle classes, and a social 
free market. Everything is being put at risk because of the fact that middle classes have no new opportunities in this environment and because of this overall crisis. And that's why what we are seeing is the rise of illiberal democracies, of theocracies, new regimes. And 20 years ago, in front of you, people like us probably would have spoken about the end of history, mm -hmm. the fact that peace will be spread out of the world, and that democracies will win the party. But even now, within Europe, it's no more the case because of this crisis. And Europe is a way to address these challenges. Neither Denmark nor France will fix the inequality issue, the climate issue, or the demographic issue, or the technology issue. I mean, it's impossible. On these items, China and US are proposing a role, I mean, their model, their role model. Totally different. But Europe is a unique continent to have a certain checks and balances, I would say. Attachment to liberty, attachment to equality at the same time, and attachment to culture, education, and a series of values which made ourselves. If we don't decide to create a new momentum for Europe, what will happen? Other people, big corporates, other powers will decide for ourselves in order to try to fix these issues. Also, I will lose the battles on these critical challenges. And this path I want to propose, and the project we can have for Europe and the European Union, is to try to make our European Union a role model to fix these four challenges. Let's create a new power in order to educate our people, a new power of development vis-à-vis -vis Africa with a new, new deal with Africa. Let's create the most innovative region of the world in order to fix the climate issue. It's about renewables, about CO2 pricing, but a lot of other issues we can revert on. Let's create the leader of artificial intelligence and technology. It's feasible in Europe. If we don't do so, it will be created in the US by large corporates without any state regulation, or by Chinese with actual regulations, but not exactly ours. <laughs> and the same relationship with individual liberty, freedom, and privacy. And let's create a, a Europe with social, environmental, and tax convergence. An actual economic and social poor, which could be the role model in order to make this world sustainable. These issues are not just our internal issues. It's part of the domestic debate in Denmark. It's exactly the same in France. What we have to propose for the upcoming European elections, but what we have to propose more largely, is precisely this big change for Europe. This is not a way to manage or monitor our European Union. Your generation will be a generation of new founding fathers. There is no other choice. Because the world is at the crossroad. So let's do it and we can revert on all these challenges and all the solutions in detail we propose and I would like to promote. But what I just wanted to focus on and highlight for this introduction is that there is no choice. You didn't decide to be here now. 
but your generation, we will have to deal with a very critical moment of our world. My conviction is that this moment will push us to decide, to take some risks, sometime to take some very bold decisions. But the main risk is not to take anyone. The main risk is to accept the others to decide for ourselves. That's why I do believe that Europe we will have to invent for the coming months and years is based on the one we have, but has to be in depth reinvented with a lot of ambition, with a lot of uh, energy, and with our commitment. Thanks very much. sure that we will be able to touch upon all the points that you both mentioned, but uh, let's try at least sort of to have a good start and let's move right down here. I see a young lady. Yes, please. Thank you so much for being here and taking your time to, we can ask our questions. Um, my name is Emily and I'm a student here at uh, Copenhagen University where I study political science. Um, I was wondering, yesterday you told your ambassadors that Europe could no longer rely on US for its security. And recently the German foreign minister said that we need to form a counterweight to Washington because of the cooling EU-US relations. So now that you're in Denmark, how do you see our opportunities as a small state to, to act in this, to strengthen, strengthen our ties to the EU and to German and France without stepping on Trump's toes and Making, uh, making him leave NATO or making our security more risky. So, yeah, how do we act in this new world order or disorder, maybe? Hold that thought. Because now we go to Silkeborg. And uh, here we have Cecilia Kohl-Sørensen. And she would like to ask a question about Brexit. Do you think there's going to be a domino effect with other countries leaving the EU after Brexit. So now we have how do we react towards the US and avoid stepping on President uh, Trump's toes. And we have Brexit, and we have another question over here. Yes, please, yeah, if you just stand up, then we have the microphone. Mr. President and Mr. Prime Minister, enchanté de vous voir ici. My name is Trina. I'm sorry, I studied French. I had to say it in French. <laughs> okay. I just finished my bachelor's degree in French at the University of Copenhagen. Um, and now I am in a intercultural market studies in a master. Um, and actually, I did my bachelor project on your Subban speech. So I've heard you say a lot you can be French and you can be, well, uh, European, and, or I guess it could be Danish and European for my case. I would like to ask a question about how can you facilitate a common uh, European meeting point between um, all these different identities without compromising our national identities? I think identity is a key thing uh, in making the future Europe. So, thank you. Thank you very much. And then I see, yes, please, you stand up. Yeah. Lady in a blue, wonderful jacket. Almost like tricolor. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Floor yours. Thank you, Mr. President, Mr. Prime Minister. I have, a pre I have a question for you, Monsieur le Président. I was actually in your hometown, Amiens, uh, this summer, 
where I saw uh, Le Tour de France, and uh, I remember that it was very, very hot, as it has been very, very hot here in Denmark this summer. So my question is about climate change. And um, you write in your book, Révolution, that um, climate change is one of the most important uh, issues of our times to, to tackle, and you just mentioned it as well in your speech. So um, I would like to know, starting with yourself, what have you and your wife done at home in order to become more climate uh, friendly? <laughs> and uh, second of all, what do you see as the biggest challenge on the global scene in order to do something about climate change? Thank you. I think we have enough on our plate here. So climate change, national identity, Brexit, and United States. Who would like to go first? Please, sir. Please, please. Come. You don't have to answer all of them, please, because we have on another sort of uh, country. <laughs> uh, citizens. Uh, citizens approach. I will try to, to, to answer at least part of the questions. As for um, defense issue and um, our relationship with, um, with US and uh, European defense. I think your country is a great country in terms of defense. This morning, I paid tribute to your soldiers. And when you compare your population to the people you lost on the battleground in Afghanistan and some others, I mean, it's incredible. And you paid the tribute. And I think, and we had this discussion at the last NATO meeting, when you, when you speak about contribution to defense efforts, I think it's, it's incorrect to just speak about money. We speak about our people, our soldiers. And your soldiers were part of this effort and what we did and what we are doing in Mali today and Sahel, in Afghanistan and some other places. That's the very first point. You are here and you're part of this European defense. Now, I'm deeply convinced we have to do more at the European level. We, we've just passed a law in France in order to increase our efforts and go to the two-person GDP. No, because NATO asked for the two-person GDP. It was a commitment I took vis-a-vis -vis the French people because I think in this current environment with a huge technical, technological change, with new threats, with terrorist threats, we have basically to be better organized and invest uh, in a new generation for our defense. And I, I do believe that this kind of effort has to be made at the European level. I, I believe in NATO, and I think it's very useful and important, but NATO was created during the Cold War. And there is no more the past enemy. I mean, what pushed us and triggered the creation of NATO is no more here. USSR is no more here. You have Russia, but we don't have the same relationship with Russia. So obviously NATO is useful with new risks, but the implicit deal between European, European countries and the US, which is de facto US was paying and was protecting Europe, is probably less valid today than during the Cold War, which means that Europe needs this wake-up call and Europe needs an actual autonomy, an actual independence, an actual sovereignty from a different point of view. That's why we took a series of decisions at the European level during the past year in order to create new cooperation, a new fund, and now a new initiative, and Denmark joined this initiative, 
which is part of this new European sovereignty in terms of defense. And for me, it's not something against the US. Absolutely not. It's something for us. We need it. And we need it as well to be credible vis-a-vis -vis the US. So I think it's very important, and the more we can contribute, you have this opt-out issue. It's something to be debated from a, a domestic point of view. This, this is a sovereign issue for you. But I think the, you, the decision you took in this framework already are very clear and very strong and very important to me in such a context. As for Brexit, I think if we don't monitor properly Brexit, we can have a domino effect. One of our obsession and one of our top priority is first to respect the vote of British voters, obviously, but in the same time to respect all the other citizens of the rest of Europe. We didn't decide to kill the European Union. So, which means we have absolutely to avoid any domino effect, which means we have to preserve our four freedoms and the solidarity of the four freedoms. We have to preserve the integrity of the single market and the European Union. And for me, it's part of the common position we have together. And today, we have a very good organization. We discussed among 27, but we have one negotiator and one common position, precisely to avoid that. Your question about identities is a very important one. I'm a strong believer in Europe, but I never defended the idea that there is, in a certain way, a sort of European people making disappear the national people. It doesn't exist. And when you look at the global situation today, you have a resurgence of national identities and identities of people. But I'm deeply convinced that our actual identity, post-Danish and French, but it's true for the rest of Europe, it's not just a national identity. We are always and already both Danish and French and European. It's through, through some personal lives and stories. And you have a, a beautiful case with the royal family in this country. <laughs> this is not totally a, a, a Danish story. But it's true for everybody. The actual Danish doesn't exist. It's already European. And it's true for French people. And let me give you some of the way to embody, in a certain way, this reality. You have Erasmus, European experience. You have European universities. We were discussing about that, and universities applied for a European program to be part with Montpellier, Dublin, and some others of a European program, which is a European experience. But even your language is not just Danish is part of the European language. European language is not Esperanto and not English, whatever we are doing now in front of you. <laughs> the European language, and Umberto Eco had this very beautiful sentence, is translation. Hmm. And there is no actual French people without the way to speak in other languages. And there is no actual European language being totally I would say, closed and blocked in his home language. Europe is made by these exchanges. 
and interactions. There was a very beautiful writer of the 18th century in France, Madame de Stal. And uh, she wrote several novels and one book called De l'Allemagne, and she spoke very well uh, German and a lot of other languages. And she had this very beautiful formula saying, when I don't find a word in French, I'm sure to find it in German or in English. And that's exactly the European story. And that's why I do believe that what you are doing, what we are doing, is just to say we have a national identity, we have even a family identity. But this identity, because we are European, is not just a national one. There is no, look at the map, there is no other region in the world with such a diversity of languages, of people, of diversity. And climate change. What climate are you change, last one. Yeah. And then we'll I have to, to say, we are doing some investment at the Elysee Palace because now we are there, but before joining, we made an investment in the house for windows, precisely in order to reduce the electricity costs. Window and, of opportunity. And, and act yep. for climate change. Yeah. No, but because it's, I mean, and that's how to reconcile climate and economy. Uh, 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 as for, for me, the most important global challenge, it's CO2 emission. I mean, it, obviously you have biodiversity, oceans and so on, but you ask me for one, CO2 emission. Which means on mobility, on companies, on our way to produce electricity, we have to make a big change. And that's a strategy we are, do, we are dealing at the national level, deciding to close all the coal plants, which is number one source of emission, a big mobility plan, and we increase the price for uh, gas oil, which is not very popular, I can tell, I can tell you, but it's a necessity. That's what we have to do now at the European level with the CO2 pricing, an actual single market. And at the global level, it's part of the climate change, the climate Paris agreement. But that for me is a very top one because that's so the origin of precisely what you experienced during your summer in Amiens and, and in Copenhagen with these new temperatures. And by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you, you saw the Tour de France in Amiens and I'm happy to, to see in the coming years, the Tour de France in Copenhagen. <laughs> that's a, now you're talking. Yeah, that's a... Well, uh, I think I will limit myself to a few comments. Mm -hmm. Will there be a domino effect after Brexit? That's exactly the same question and the very first question uh, raised by Donald Trump when I first met him in the White House. Mm -hmm. I, and I couldn't really figure out whether he was hopeful or, yeah. or whatever. Enlighten us, come on. Uh, but, 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 but my answer was a clear no. Uh, oh. But I agree with Emmanuel. It, it, it obviously linked to the way we, uh, we, we, we deal with this and, 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 and the solution. And that's just an additional reason why we have to strike a balance between obligations and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and rights, so to speak. Um, I do not fear a domino effect, because if you look to UK these days, it is obvious that they are starting to suffer from it. And I'm pleased to say that if you ask the Danes, they are more pro-Europe now than before the referendum. I think uh, Brexit is a reminder of what we have taken for granted. 10% uh, of the Danish GDP is directly linked to our participation in the single market. Um, 
So, I mean, there's no way we should leave uh, the European uh, Union. But at the same time, we have to take seriously what you ask about, about national identity. And that's why I'm in favor of striking a balance where we use the European Union to solve big problems and where we leave small things to nations. Um, we need this kind of, how should I put it, a peaceful uh, competition between countries. I mean, we haven't solved all problems in Denmark, but, but I mean, the Scandinavian model have been successful in many ways. For instance, uh, in your opening remarks, Emmanuel, you talked about uh, the fact that uh, inequality could uh, lead to a situation where people turn their backs towards uh, globalization. And of course, we have issues in Denmark as well, but I think we have been, together with Sweden and other countries, better than many other countries to redistribute prosperity among ourselves. And, and for that reason, the Danes are open towards the rest of the world and to, towards changes. So I think we should, we should, and that would be an ongoing discussion, and we will disagree and we will agree and we have to uh, find a compromise because we shouldn't you know, leave everything to Europe. And, and, and on the other hand, we should understand that sovereignty is not about taking all decisions by ourselves. Um, that's a balance. And then uh, just a few words about NATO and, 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 and defense. I mean, we need this debate in Denmark, and that's why I have called for this debate. Uh, we both witnessed uh, a, a summit, a NATO summit, a few months ago, a few weeks ago. Um, I'm not the one who should um, give all the details about our internal discussions. But I just want to say that I share your opinion that participation is not only about how much money do you spend, it's also about your readiness to, to stand up. And at least I used the opportunity to tell the American president in, in, in a very clear uh, voice that we will not accept uh, that we are judged only by our expenditures. I mean, we have had exactly as many casualties in Afghanistan as the Americans, and we always stand up. So um, that's not acceptable. But we have to realize that this is not only about Trump. Of course, Trump put it his way, and, and slightly different from what we have experienced in the past. Uh, but there's a reason why he was elected. And I think we have to take seriously that U.S. in general expect that we take a greater responsibility for our own security. So that's why I define NATO as a cornerstone, but at the same time, we have to do more in a European framework. Uh, we have this opt-out, and it can't be removed without a referendum. I'm not calling for a referendum today, but we have to discuss it. And in the meanwhile, with full respect of the opt-out, Denmark needs to participate uh, in a European framework uh, as well. And that's why we have closed this deal or agreed that we should enhance our bilateral cooperation. And I don't think that will provoke uh, the American president, quite the uh, opposite actually, because they actually demand from us that we do more. So if we respond by doing more, there's no reason why they should react in a negative way. Thank you very much. Uh, time is running out, unfortunately, but I have a question here from Sunnabal, <laughs> basically asking both of you, and if you could do it sort of in a very snappy way, sort of, uh, how can we improve the cooperation on migration between our two countries? Migration being obviously a very important issue also if you want to have a Europe that protects. One minute each. Is that possible? 
I will offer one... you 30 of my seconds. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, look, migration is a challenge not just for this year or the year to come, but for decades. First point. Second, we need to articulate responsibility and solidarity. So the way to proceed is not to be simplistic or nationalistic. No issue on a national basis is sure. And look at the nationalistic approach. What they propose is against the other, but they never manage to coordinate between each other. So what we have to do, better cooperation and more development with origin countries, especially in Africa. More cooperation against smugglers with transit countries, what we launched one year ago in Paris with some of them. More investment on our common protection, common frontiers with Frontex, what we propose, and I think we totally agree on that. Common organization for countries of arrivals with more solidarity with these control centers and, and, and solidarity. Distinction between asylum and economic migration. Asylum is a duty, no discussion. Economic migration is to be discussed. And some people have to come back. And six, common regulation to have solidarity between the other member states, between origin country and the others. Not on the basics of quota, because quota doesn't fly, but basics on willingness approach for those who can get asylum. Financial contribution to help some of these countries, but a common regulation. And you do me a favor, you just say you agree. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mr. Prime Minister, because time is running yeah. out. Du har lyttet til en podcast fra det Kongelige Bibliotek. Husk, at du kan abonnere på podcasten i din foretrukne podcast-app. Hvis du kunne lide, hvad du hørte, så del det gerne med andre, der også kunne være interesserede. Hvis du har kommentarer til podcasten, så find Den Sorte Diamant på Facebook, hvor du også kan holde dig orienteret om kommende arrangementer i Diamanten. Podcasten er produceret af Kulturafdelingen på Det Kongelige Bibliotek, og musikken er af Søren Jacobsen.